This is the smell of a warm three-day-old egg salad sandwich in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag with new Fabuloso lemon scent. Hefty, hefty, hefty! <sighs> smell the difference? When life gives you stinky, get Hefty Ultra Strong with new Fabuloso Lemon Scent. It smells like clean, freshly picked lemons. So no matter what's inside your trash, you can stop the stink and smell the lemon. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Time for. Hello you, and welcome back to Underwood and Flinch, where we are deep into a plot so thick that I feel I need to list a few of the ingredients for you, just so you know what that delightful smell wafting in from the kitchen is actually composed of. Last time, we rejoined Claire Redmond, who recently fell into a trap laid by Lydia Flinch. What exactly happened in that hotel room in Whitechapel, we can't know, because all Claire remembers is whatever Lydia wants her to remember. Claire does know, and strongly, that she has to be at the heart of the London vampire murder investigation. Now, she also suspects that her boss, Detective Chief Superintendent Charles Coleridge, isn't playing straight with her when he says that the murders were committed by a serial killer that Detective Inspector Guy Valentine and his people at Falconbridge CID are investigating. Coleridge was her late father's partner in what she believes was a covert police department called the Occult Crimes Unit. Her father had a ring that she still wears around her neck, and Valentine has a ring that she suspects is identical. And so, putting these suspicions together, stirring gently, and adding a little dash of Lydia in the subconscious mind for good measure... And you have the perfect recipe for... Underwood and Flinch Season 4 Underground Written and performed for podcast by Mike Bennett This podcast is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Episode 9 A flash of flame rose over the heads of the lunchtime diners sitting at the counter of the Tepan Sushi Restaurant in London's Camden Town, catching the eye of Claire Redmond where she sat at her table by the window. The waiter had explained earlier that the setting fire to food doused in splashes of vodka on the tepan, the grill, was all part of the tepanyaki style of cooking. Claire sipped her jasmine tea and turned her eyes back to the window. She was waiting for Guy Valentine. 
They'd arranged to meet at one o'clock. Claire had been at the restaurant since twelve. She'd been unable to concentrate in the office. Her thoughts were then, as now, ever circling the question of the murder cases of the previous day and how Coleridge had handed them both over to Valentine. Technically, what Coleridge had done was fair enough, given that the murders had been identified as the work of a serial killer already being investigated by Valentine and his people at Falconbridge. But who had identified them as such? The medical examiners hadn't even officially established how the victims had been killed, and yet Coleridge had acted in complete certainty that both murders were the handiwork of Falconbridge's highly classified quarry. He'd done this on the basis that the victims had both seemingly been exsanguinated. This cause of death, then, was the only required factor for homicides to be handed over to Falconbridge. For Clare, the inescapable conclusion was that Falconbridge had to be the centre of operations for the Occult Crimes Unit, assuming that was still its official designation. She didn't know Falconbridge, so she'd googled it, and a quick search revealed that it was located on the outer eastern edge of Battersea Park. She'd clicked on an image of the place on Google Maps, expecting to see a typically large London police station, but instead saw what looked like a wide Victorian bungalow. It was more like a park warden's lodge than a police station. There were no police cars parked outside. In fact, there didn't even appear to be a car park. Puzzled, she decided to drive across town and check it out for herself. She'd parked at nearby Battersea Police Station and had asked the duty sergeant about it. Well, that's been close to the public for donkey's years, Mum, he said. As far as I know, these days it's mostly used for data storage. Data storage? You mean it's not an operational police station? That's what I understand. But I heard it has a CID department, an active CID department. The sergeant smiled. Be a very small one if it does, ma'am. You been there? No, I'm just going over there now. Well, good luck finding anybody in. It's usually shut up tighter than a duck's arse. She'd walked through Battersea Park and found the Falconbridge station on the other side, facing a main road. It was shabbier than it had appeared on the Google picture. It sat under the boughs of brooding oaks and was fenced off by high black railings topped with arrowhead points. She tried the closed gates, but they were locked, so she looked through the railings to the building itself for some sign of life inside, the walls were white, or had been once. A dusting of exhaust soot from years of passing traffic gave the front façade a grey appearance. The twin front doors, painted black, were shut, and the four front windows were screened by steel mesh shutters. She noticed a small sign on one of the doors just above a doorbell. She squinted to read, Press for assistance. Not much chance of that she thought. The only sign that the building was, or ever had been, a police station was a traditional blue lamp set on the wall beside the door. Above that was a more contemporary addition, one of two CCTV cameras, one aimed at the front door, the other at the front gate, so presumably it was monitoring her. She stepped back, searching the railings for an intercom or other means of contacting whoever was inside, 
but there was nothing. Maybe the sergeant at Battersea had been right. It was just a data storage facility. But this was the place where Valentine had said he was stationed. He'd said it, and so had Coleridge. She looked into the single black eye of the CCTV camera and wondered if it was being actively monitored or just running on a record setting. Maybe Valentine was inside now, watching her on a screen. There was one way to find out. She took out her work phone and called him, watching the CCTV camera as she listened to it ring. After eight rings, he answered. Valentine? DCI Valentine, this is D.I. Redmond. We met yesterday. Oh, uh, hello, Redmond. How can I help you? Well, actually, I was wondering if I could help you, sir. You told me to call you if anything else occurred to me about the two homicides, and it has. Really? He sounded interested. What's that, then? I'd rather not say over the phone, sir. Can we meet? What's the matter? Afraid someone might be listening in? No, sir. I'd just like to tell you in person, if that's all right. Ah. Uh, he was quiet for a few moments, then replied, OK, sure. When's good for you? Redmond looked straight into the camera. How about now? Uh, no. Sorry, that's no good. I'm out on the case. Really? Whereabouts? Camden. Our forensic people are taking an extensive look at the site of the skip body. Found anything interesting? Nothing I can share with you, Redmond. This one's classified, remember? Redmond smiled coolly. Ah, uh, yes, of course. So, how about we meet for lunch? Somewhere around where you are now? All right, sounds good. Actually, I noticed a sushi restaurant on the way here, a place called Tapan. Do you know it? I do, yes. What time? How about one o'clock? Okay, I'll see you then. She'd hung up and come straight here. Martimus, asked the waiter. He was smiling, but she sensed he was keen for her to pay up and leave so he could use this table for four more profitably. She smiled. No, thank you, I still have some to drink. Or perhaps you would like something to eat now. Not yet, I'm waiting for someone. As you like, miss. With a small bow, the waiter turned and walked away. She noticed some women standing at the counter looking at her with undisguised annoyance. As she averted her eyes, she was gladdened to see Guy Valentine coming in through the door. She held up a hand to catch his eye. On seeing her, he smiled and came over. DCI Valentine, she said, rising to shake his hand. Thanks so much for coming along. She extended a hand to the chair opposite her. So, how's the investigation going? Oh, well enough, he said, sitting down. He noticed her now empty teacup. Hope I haven't kept you waiting. Oh no, I, I've just got here myself. A flash of fire from the counter turned Valentine's head. Well, you've certainly got a good seat for watching the pyrotechnics. Are you a fan of sushi? She shrugged. Well, yes, but uh, I'm no connoisseur. Oh, I love it he said, picking up the menu. I try to have it a couple of times a week if I can. Amazingly good for you, you know? So I hear. She watched him as he perused the menu, his ring finger towards her. No doubt about it, she thought. It was the same ring as her father's. Without looking up, Valentine said, So what's this thing you wanted to talk about in relation to the case? Hmm, he murmured. Sashimi. Sorry? He looked up from the menu. Sashimi. Uh, it looks very good here. 
He saw the look on Claire's face, called for more information. Oh, it's, a, it's raw fish or meat sliced very thinly. And I see they have fresh Scottish salmon, so I think I might go for that, at least for the starter. What are you going to have? Oh, I don't know. I haven't really thought about it. Really? Aren't you hungry? Claire really hadn't thought about it, but now that she did, she realised she was. Actually, yes, I am. Well, we could share if you like. Order a variety of things between us. Okay. You seem to know your way around the menu better than I do, so why don't you order for both of us? He smiled. Okay, if you trust me, I'd be happy to. Do you have any special food requirements? Vegetarian? Allergies? Anything like that? No. Great, that makes life a lot easier. Valentine caught the attention of the waiter and began to order from the menu, pointing to the items as he spoke. Claire took the opportunity to further inspect his ring. She could now clearly make out the raised cross motif set in the centre of a circle. She was so focused on it that she didn't notice he'd finished speaking to the waiter. Inspector, he said. She looked up. Both Valentine and the waiter were looking at her expectantly. Would you like something to drink? Oh, uh, yes, uh, just a glass of water. Valentine handed the menu to the waiter and asked for a pitcher of water. Then he turned back to her. So, this information of yours, what have you got for me? Claire hesitated for a moment, then leaned in closer to him over the table and said in a confidential tone, You remember at the church yesterday you asked me if I thought this might be the work of a real vampire? He grinned. Uh, yes, sorry, I didn't mean to sound like I was taking the piss. No need for apologies. As you said, it's the impression the killer is likely trying to achieve. Unless, of course, he is a real vampire. Valentine chuckled. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I've changed my mind. He frowned. Changed it how? Yesterday I told you I didn't think it was the work of a real vampire. But today, I do. Actually, I did yesterday, but I didn't think it would be very good idea to say so. Valentine took a moment to digest her words. Then he smiled. You're not serious. I am, sir. You're telling me that you think there's some kind of Count Dracula on the loose in London? Well, that's not how I'd put it, no. So how would you put it? As I already did, sir, I think a vampire, a real one, is responsible for the murders. No, not one, two, actually. Two what? Murders? No, two vampires. He watched her expression, looking for a sign that maybe she was winding him up, but she met his eyes with unflinching seriousness. He sat back and sighed. Huh, I see. You surprise me, Inspector. You don't seem the sort of person who could come to such a conclusion. I thought you were more rational than that. Oh, I'm very rational, sir, but the truth is, and forgive my candour, I think that you're actually aware that this is the work of real vampires, and for some reason, presumably public safety, you're not saying so. Valentine laughed. <laughs> oh, I see. So what? There's a conspiracy, is there, and I'm part of it? No, sir, said Claire coolly. You're not part of a conspiracy. You're part of the OCU. Valentine's eyebrows arched in amazement. He withdrew his hands from the table and sat back. The what? The Occult Crimes Unit, sir. 
I believe that you and Detective Superintendent Coleridge are part of a covert Scotland Yard department that deals with crimes which are specifically occult in nature. The waiter returned with a pitcher of water. Claire held Valentine's eyes as the waiter set down two glasses and filled them. Once he had gone, Valentine said, You're serious, aren't you? You really believe what you're saying? Yes, sir. For a moment, all he could do was stare at her. Then he looked off to the side and shook his head. I don't know what to say, Inspector. DCS Coleridge told me your late father had similar ideas, but... Jesus! He turned to face her again. Honestly? I think the strain of the job might be getting to you, Redmond. Seriously, it might be a good idea for you to take a holiday or something, and then maybe when you get back... I don't know. I don't want to sound insensitive or anything, but perhaps you should see a psychiatrist. Really? Well, yes. Jesus, Redmond. There's no such thing as vampires, for God's sake. He smiled warily. Please, tell me you're taking the piss here. I can't tell you that, sir. But I can tell you what I know. Oh, please do. Okay. I know that Father Byrne was exsanguinated via two puncture wounds in his neck. I know that the other victim, the one in the skip, was also exsanguinated, though I believe the wound we saw is an attempt to disguise the actual points of that exsanguination, which again I believe were two puncture marks. Made by a vampire? Yes, but not the same one that killed Father Byrne. Because the method is different, so you conclude that the killer is also different? Yes, sir. I see. So, is that it? It's all I know for sure, sir. I'd know a lot more if I hadn't been taken off the case. Oh, I see. And so this theory of yours is going to get you back on the case, is it? It's true, isn't it? She said, her eyes levelly on his. He laughed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. And Fred and Rose West were actually undercover Martians. Did you know that one? He shook his head pityingly. Look, I don't know about you, but I've lost my appetite. Seriously, Redmond, if you honestly believe what you're saying, then you do need to seek professional help before you let this fantasy of yours develop any further. And it goes without saying, but I'll say it anyway... For fuck's sake, don't repeat a word of this to Coleridge, or you'll likely find yourself directing traffic for the rest of your career. He took out his wallet. Don't worry, I'll get this, and I'll take mine to go. Oh, impressive, sir, said Claire. Very impressive. Do you do a lot of undercover work? Valentine frowned. What? What do you mean? Your acting ability. If I didn't know for a fact you were lying, I'd almost believe you weren't. Valentine regarded her with a pitying look, then took out a twenty-pound note from his wallet. He got up and tossed the note on the table. Goodbye, Inspector. Enjoy your lunch. Sit down, or I go to the press. Valentine froze. What? You heard me. Sit down, or I'll go to the press. You may not want to hear what I have to say, but I'm sure they will. Valentine sat down, his face grave. Redmond, let me be very clear here. If you do that, you're finished. Surely you know that. My duty is to protect the public, sir, and I'll do that even if it costs me my career. People have a right to know. 
A right to know that Dracula is in town? Jesus Christ, Redmond, you really are insane, aren't you? Claire smiled. Oh, don't think I haven't wondered. But no, I'm not. So, let's discuss the case. What? Discuss the case? said Valentine, his expression utterly incredulous. Well, really, Redmond, what's the point? What's the point of even continuing the investigation? Why don't we just hand things over to Professor Van Helsing, or or maybe Scooby-Doo and the kids in the mystery machine can take over? They always seem to get their man, don't they? Well, that's funny, sir. See if you think this is. She reached behind her neck and unclasped her chain. She drew it from her blouse, along with her father's ring which she allowed to spin between their eyes for a moment before she laid it down on the white tablecloth in front of her. Valentine's eyes followed the ring to where it rested, then looked back to hers. Well, what's that? Don't you recognise it? It's the same as the one you have on your finger. I wasn't sure at first, but I checked your hand when you came in. Then, when I mentioned the OCU, you hid it under the table, just as you are now. Valentine, whose hands were under the table, gave a dismissive laugh. (laughs) So I have a ring on my finger. He raised his hands and held them up to her before dropping them to the table. So what? What part does my ring, which I bought in a flea market when I was a teenager, by the way, play in your elaborate fantasy? Please tell me, I've never been part of a psychotic delusion before. I have to say it's absolutely fascinating. It's a very unique design, isn't it? What is it? It looks like a cross, but if you look closely, I think it actually resembles a hammer of some sort. Valentine picked up Claire's ring, scrutinised it for a few moments, then dropped it before glancing at his own. Well, I've no idea. I just thought it looked cool when I was a kid. I'd take it off, but my finger's grown since I put it on. You should try rubbing soap on it, sir. It's a dead giveaway to anyone who knows what it is. Oh, really? And what is it? I believe it's a sign. Of what? Of belonging. Valentine scoffed. (laughs) Belonging to what? This OCU of yours? Yes, but more than that, I believe it denotes membership of an order of some sort. An order? What? Like the Masons, the old Funny Handshake Brigade? Perhaps the ring takes the place of the Funny Handshake. Or maybe it's additional. My God! He tapped a finger to his temple. You've really constructed a whole world up there, haven't you? So, how come you have this ring? Are you a member too? Maybe the Grand Wizard? It was my father's. I found it in a box of... Hidden things that included case souvenirs relating to his career in the OCU. Bad things, mostly. Oh? Like what? Silver bullets? Wooden stakes? Photos? Notebooks? Things he'd brought home from his cases? Valentine was about to speak when the waiter arrived with the food. Valentine held up a hand to stop him and asked for it to be bagged to go. The waiter assented and took it away again. Then Valentine, suddenly serious, said, You say he brought things home from his cases. Can you be more specific? Why, it's only part of my delusion. Because if this particular part of your delusion has any basis in fact, your father was stealing evidence, and that, as I'm sure I don't need to remind you, is illegal. 
We can't arrest him. He's dead. Do you still have it? Why? Because it's still evidence. It belongs in case files. OCU case files? There is no OCU, Redmond. Then why was OCU rubber-stamped on official police documents in the boxes? Documents? He had documents as well. Yes, case files. Case files? Valentine's hands were balled into fists. Redmond, if you are bullshitting me, now is the time to stop, okay? Just because I know nothing about this OCU of yours doesn't mean it doesn't exist. What you have is police property. Really? And so it ought to be in that Bunny Hutch police station of yours by Battersea Park? Oh, by the way, what are the opening hours at Falconbridge? I went by it today and it was shut. Pretty odd for a London police station. It's not open to the public, Redmond. It's not that kind of station. And it didn't look like it was open at all. Don't try and change the bloody subject. If you're in possession of historical police evidence, you need to give it to me. I would, sir, but I might need it when I go to the press. If what you're saying is true, you won't be going to the press. You'll be going to jail. Now, answer me straight and I'm ordering you as your superior. Do you or do you not have police evidence? Claire set her jaw. He had her. She forced a smile. No, sir. My mother burnt it all. She thought she saw a glimmer of relief in his eyes. She took her phone from her jacket pocket. What are you doing? said Valentine. I'm phoning the press. I don't have evidence, but I do have a police badge. I think they'll believe me. Valentine watched as she unlocked her phone, his expression worried. Jesus, you're pathetic, Redmond. Do you know that? All this because you can't accept that you've been taken off a couple of murder cases. I have to be at the heart of the investigation, said Claire as she searched her address book for the number of the evening courier. Oh, do you? Valentine's tone was superior, but his face was tight with nerves. So this is how you go about it, is it? Redmond, I promise you, you do this and the only thing you'll be at the heart of is the bloody job centre. She found the number and hesitated. With a smile, she said, Will I? Valentine continued, Look, you're stressed out, confused, but for God's sake don't let a passing delusion wreck a promising career. Claire picked up the chain with her father's ring. She tilted it to the light, and on its inside surface saw her father's initials, finely carved in cursive script. She thought for a moment, then pocketed the ring. You're right. I am deluded. A sore loser who simply can't accept the truth. So why don't you show me the truth, sir? Take me down to Falconbridge and show me the incident room notice boards you talked about with all the evidence of your serial killer. There's nothing untoward or unprofessional in that. Valentine shook his head. No. Why not? Because it's classified information. The only reason it's classified is because you want to keep it from the media. But if you won't let me see it, then that's exactly where it will go. The waiter came back with the bags of food and put them down on the table. Valentine paid the bill, all the time his eyes on Claire and the phone she held in her hand. When the waiter had gone, he said, Who are you going to call? The courier. If I call them now, I can still make this evening's edition. Don't said Valentine. 
Claire's finger moved to the call button. You are finished if you do. Take me to Falconbridge. Valentine's lip curled into a snarl. Who the fuck do you think? Claire pressed call. As you like. I hope you don't mind, sir, but I'll have to mention you by name. And DCS Coleridge, of course. Unavoidable, really. She turned from him and spoke into the receiver. Oh, hello. I wonder if you can help me. I think I may have a story for you. In a lightning move, Valentine lunged across the table, snatched the phone from Redmond's hand and dropped it into the pitcher of water. Claire stared at her submerged phone in disbelief. You fucking... How dare you? You fucked up, Redmond. Big time. Valentine stood and snatched two of the bags of food. Sorry about the phone. I'd say put in for a new one, but I doubt you'll be in the job long enough to submit the request. You think this is going to stop me? I can still go down there in person, you know. Valentine came alongside her and leaned down so his mouth was close to her ear. You do that, and trust me, you'll end up in the same place as your old man. He stood up and smiled pleasantly. Enjoy the samshimi. He walked away. Claire was stunned. For a few moments, all she could do was sit, struggling with what Valentine had just said to her. It had been a threat, yes, but had it also been an admission, spoken in anger, of something more? He'd mentioned earlier about how Coleridge had told him of her father's problems, but clearly he also knew of his being committed, and now he was threatening to have her committed too. Is that what they did when someone crossed them? Is that what they had done to her father? She opened her bag and took out her personal phone, noticing as she did that her hands were trembling. Going to the press had been a bluff. She hadn't fully depressed the call button. How could she be at the heart of the investigation if she and it were exposed in the media? But she still had one card left to play, and Valentine's threat of having her committed had just given her license to play it. Much as she hated him right now, she would make a call to her godfather, Uncle Charlie Coleridge. No time to go through the proper channels. She had his personal mobile number in her address book. She selected it and pressed call. She got up and went after Valentine, who was just going out of the door. Coleridge came on the line, his voice concerned. Claire, what's the matter? Hello, sir. Sorry, but this is a bit of an emergency. Hold the line and listen, would you? She went out onto the street and caught Valentine by the shoulder. So it's all true then, DCI Valentine. The OCU, the London vampire? You've as good as admitted it. Not just that, but also that the OCU had my father committed when he wasn't even ill. Valentine turned and saw she was holding out her phone, face up between them like a journalist looking for a quote. I'm sorry, he said, wary that she could be on the line to the press. I have nothing to say to you, Inspector. Well, maybe you'd like to say something to your boss. I have him on the line. I'm sure he'd like to hear how you just threatened to have me committed too. Valentine's jaw tightened. The look in her eyes, angry yet triumphant, told him she wasn't lying. What? Claire spoke to the phone. I think Inspector Valentine would like a word, sir. She handed the phone to Valentine. Try not to drop it. That's a good lad. Valentine took the phone and saw the illuminated contact was... Uncle Charlie. He put the phone cautiously to his ear and said, Hello? Claire watched as Valentine's face reddened. Yes, sir, he said. Yes, sir, but 
but she was going to go to the press. I had to. No, sir. No, sir. He looked at Claire. Of course, sir. He handed the phone back to her. She put it to her ear. Hello? There was silence for a few moments. Then Coleridge spoke, his voice simmering with controlled anger. You and Valentine, in my office, now. I think it's time we had a talk. And so, the moment of truth arrives for Claire Redmond. Are Guy Valentine and Charles Coleridge really agents of the Occult Crimes Unit? Will she learn what happened to her father and of the dark forces that lurk just beneath the surface of our world? Or will she end up in the same place as her old man? One thing is for sure, listeners, whatever Claire finds out, she'll also be the eyes and ears of Lydia Flinch. The music you're listening to is Ahmad Armour by Farid Fajad, courtesy of Taranay Records and our good friend Fawaz Almalud. You can buy the track from Taranay Records, from iTunes, from Amazon, or of course stream it from Spotify, Google Music, YouTube Music, and everywhere else that streams music. This is the smell of a warm three-day-old egg salad sandwich in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! Blech! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag with new Fabuloso Lemon Scent. Hefty, hefty, hefty! <sighs> smell the difference? When life gives you stinky, get Hefty Ultra Strong with new Fabuloso Lemon Scent. It smells like clean, freshly picked lemons. So no matter what's inside your trash, you can stop the stink and smell the lemon. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.